21. If you don't have a bookmark, if you need one, we'll get you one. We got some up here. And 1 John chapter number 1 and verse number 1. Let me make mention, those of you traveling by interstate, which side was that, Tyler? The west side? West side of the interstate? Uh, going west is just, is, uh, they're detouring traffic. I don't know if they're working on the bridge or exactly what they're doing there, but it's a mess up through there. All right. First John chapter number 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life, for the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness is showing to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that you may also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father, with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy might be full. Verse John chapter 5 and verse 13 will be our theme throughout this series. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Authentic Christianity. Authentic Christianity. Let's go to the throne of grace again. Grady, how about you praying, brother? Amen. You be seated. What are the essentials of our Christian doctrine? What makes you a Christian? Title? What you call yourself? What makes a church authentic Christian church? We found last week that there was a group of believers within the church of Ephesus who considered themselves intellectual, superior. They believed they were the spiritual elite. They had knowledge and revelation from God that nobody else had. They could improve on the gospel message handed down by the apostles through the ages. John comes to this epistle and he begins to help them. And one thing for certain, he teaches Christian certainties. This book truly illustrates what Jude 1, 3 says. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me that I should write unto you, exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered 
unto the saints. And in this 21st century, our culture, we are having to contend for the faith. As a matter of fact, in this new age ecumenism, my tongue don't turn right on that, uh, it says this, it really doesn't matter what religious label you have, as long as it works for you. They throw out the ideals of truth, right, and wrong. As long as it does something for you, gives you a buzz, gives you a desired end to what you think religion's all about, it really doesn't matter if it's truth or a lie. George Bonner in one of his polls of the United States said this, 80% of people believe in God, 64% of the adults uh, said they pray, 46% of evangelicals said they believed that they were born again, and yet we're living in a day of so much confusion. A Navy chaplain in the United States Navy was called upon to play at a college. And before he prayed, he was reminded by the commanding officer not to include anything offensive. And certainly we do not, rem- we, we do not mention the name of Jesus when we pray. What John is telling us that apart from Jesus Christ, there is no Christianity. Here's the question. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Has He changed your life? Well, I believe in God. Devils believe in God and tremble. But do you believe that Jesus Christ was the God-man, 100% God, 100% man, came to a cross, bled and died, rose again the third day to pay your personal sin debt? How many believes that? Amen. Amen. Because apart from Christ, there is no Christianity. I'm going to heaven not because I'm a pastor. I'm going to heaven not because I'm a Baptist, which I'm a Baptist from the top of my head to the sole of my feet. I'm not going to church because I come to church. I'm not going to heaven because I come to church. I'm going to heaven because I trust it in the Lord Jesus Christ to wash away my sins, that's why I get to go to heaven. My sin debt's been paid. And this is a truth that is so lost in our day. Well, I go to church. 
I'm a Baptist. I'm a Methodist. I believe in God. I hope I'm going to go. You may hope yourself right into hell. And we took the test last week. We took the doctrinal test. We took the moral test. And we took the social test. I am an old-fashioned belief. You, you just, I'm just waiting. The Bible says, all things pass away. And behold, all things become new. And if there's something new not happened in your heart, there's a good chance you don't know the Savior. He changes us for a time in eternity. And John addresses this right off the bat. I love this. He doesn't even mention his name in this epistle. He gets down to the main thing. First of all, notice with me number one. He gives tangible evidence. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, when our hands have handled of the word of life. None better than John could testify to Jesus of Nazareth. He said he was the eternal, uncreated, self-existent word made flesh. He wasn't an illusion. He wasn't a phantom. He wasn't a spook. He's not a figment of our imagination. He was real and he came in flesh and blood as a man, but without sin. See, the gospel of John majors on the deity of Christ. The epistle of John masters on the humanity of Christ. He was God. He was man. He was both. And one of the great conflicts of our day is the fact that he was God and that he was man. And I mean, there's a tremendous... You'd be amazed at the people I've talked to that says, well, I believe he's God's son, but I don't believe he was God. So they said, basically, they took away his deity. So let's look at an Old Testament example. In the Old Testament tabernacle, they had a thick veil, gorgeous veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. It was made of three types of fabric. It was made of red, speaking of his humanity. It was made of blue, speaking of his deity. And it was made of purple, speaking of his royalty. Now, let me illustrate for you. All right? We can't do this on the radio, so they'll just have to use their imagination. All right? We got red for his humanity. Boy, I about just quoted that everywhere. We got blue for his deity. But when those two are mixed together, when those two come together here in the middle. Now let me ask you a question. 
we have a dark purple. Please answer this question. Here's the illustration. Where did the red start and where did it end? Where did the blue start and where did it end? You cannot tell where the red started and where the blue started and where they ended when they're mixed together. They are perfect unity, if you will. And so the Lord was that way. Let me show you what I mean. At Jacob's well, he was wearied in his journey, his humanity. But in a few minutes, he tells that woman, give me a drink. He says, he says, and he begins to tell her to go get her husband. She said, I ain't got no husband. He said, you said that right, honey. You ain't got a husband. You've got five, and one you're shacking up with now is not your husband. She runs to town, says, comes a man that told me all things I ever did. That's his deity. Simon Peter's boat. He's tired and asleep in the back on a pillow. They come and they wake him. Said, Master, cares not that we perish. He walks out on the, uh, on the stern of that boat. He said, peace be still. And the water's laid down like a baby. That's his deity. That's his deity. Bethany's house. He's weeping with sisters. They lost a brother. Groaning in his spirit. But in a little while, he's standing at the tomb saying, Lazarus, come forth. That is his deity. Can I ask you a question? Where does humanity end and where does deity start? My, in just in a split second of time, his humanity, he's tired and he's asleep in, but then in his deity, he's come into troubled waters. I want you to understand, he was the God-man. 100% God, 100% man. Notice, second, a testimonial evidence. John says, we have heard. John said, we've seen with our eyes. John said, We've looked about. That word look means to gaze intensely. He said, we looked on him. John said, we've handled him. John said, I know what it is to lay on his breast and hear his heartbeat. I know I've handled him. My well, I'm getting excited. I thought this was going to be a little boy. I'm getting excited. He said, I've handled him. Well, I find the Bible says in Colossians 2, Beware lest he may spoil you through the philosophy of vain deceit, after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. The testimony of an eyewitness is more convincing than their high-flying philosophies of dreamers. John said, We've witnessed him. In Luke 24, 3, Behold, he said to Thomas, Behold my feet and my hands, that is I myself, and handle me and see. 
for a spirit had not flesh and bones as you see me have. He wasn't a spook. Amen. He was real. He ate with him, not because you had to, because you wanted to. John 20, 27. Then saith he to reach hither thy finger and behold my hand. Thomas said, I'm not going to believe unless I put my fingers in his nail prints, unless I put my hand in his side. Jesus showed up. He said, hey, Thomas, come here, man. He said, put your hand right here. He said, put your hand here in my side. He said, oh, my goodness, Thomas said, and be not faithless, but believing. First words John ever heard Jesus say, Come and see. John 1 35. Early monarchs would keep their distance from their subjects, not with Jesus. He wanted them as close as he could get them, he wanted them close. Little wonder John had no patience with the heretics who were denying that Jesus, that God was in actually an earthly body. The gospel, he said, in the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It's tangible evidence. It's tra- testimonial evidence. It is transmitted evidence. Notice what he said. For the life was manifested, put on display. Everybody could see, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. God is the author of physical life, spiritual life, and eternal life. The Lord enjoyed eternal life even before He came to earth. But He did something. He took on a robe of flesh and came to this earthly life, this physical life. And you need to understand this because it's so important. Why did he take on a physical life? He's gone. He could do whatever he wanted to. I'll tell you why. So he can relate to you and to me. He relates to all your hurt, all your disappointments, all your trials. He relates to everything that's going on in your life. Someone said, well, you don't understand what's going on in my life. I don't have to understand. He already knows. You don't understand where I've been and what my life's been about. I don't have to. He already knows. He takes our life and he puts it on the ad machine and adds it all up. And when we go to grab the tape, he grabs it and says, I got control of it all. Could you imagine this? Your life being in a puzzle box with all these pieces and you start putting the pieces 
and you grab for the lid to see what it's going to look like and God grabs the lid and says, I'll take care of the lid. Well, Lord, I, I want to see what it's going to look like. He says, no, I'm not going to give you the full picture, but I'll tell you what the next piece is. I'll give you the next piece to your puzzle and you can put it in and it gradually, gradually, gradually to one day it's all together and he says, time to come to the house. He did that because he wanted to relate to me and you. Not only does he give physical life, he gives spiritual life. Apart from him, he has a power to give spiritual life. He's been talking to Martha and and Lord made an amazing statement. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, physical life is no problem for me. But he has power to give spiritual life because he went on to say, he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Speaking of the fact You that are dead and your trespasses and your sins. Are you you saying, preacher, I'm dead? If you're lost, you're dead. You're dead. Can Can I help you, church? Let's quit expecting lost people to act like saved people. Do you, you get that? A lot of times our mistake is we're looking for lost people to act like saved people. We roll the casket up here and somebody's in dead. What do you expect from them? Well, I'm going to go and I'm going to pop them upside the head. What will they do? Nothing. You know Why? Because you're dead. You do anything you want to to them. But you don't expect nothing from them either. As a matter of fact, I, I'm, so mind, I, I'm so much not expecting them to do anything that if they did do anything, I'd have a heart attack. The reality is, Jesus came, manifested, means to shine, to bring light to show plainly. See, for three and a half years, John and the other apostles saw the Lord. They saw one who was good and holy without sin, feasting their eyes upon miracles and lending their ears to his words. They saw one who was completely unselfish, who never lost his temper, was never hasty, thoughtless, or unkind. They watched him as he went about doing good, never having to apologize for anything he ever did. He was humble and holy, loving and lowly, patient and pure. His wisdom, love and power never ceased to amaze those that heard him. He was never lost at words, never taken by surprise, never wronged and never treated. And he treated all men alike, even his enemies. Rich and poor, powerful and weak, friend and foe. He loved them and cared for them all. He commanded demons, diseases, death, 
turned water into wine, made loaves and fishes multiply with just his breaking of his hands. Thou won from him, and the temptuous wind ceased and hushed the rest. He could walk on the waves, or he could walk through solid walls. His eyes, they could see through all life's little disguises. By the way, his eyes can see your heart. And watch there. By the way, what is in your heart? Sound like that commercial, watching your wallet. I ain't worried about watching your wallet, because if God gets your heart, he'll get your wallet. Amen. What's in your heart? What is in your heart? Right now, this morning, if some of you would get honest with what's in your heart, God could change you for a time and eternity. He could turn your entire world around. He could take that anger and frustration and bitterness and give you joy and happiness and gladness. He could turn that old long frown you whine to a smile. He could take and turn your complaint into praise. Matter of fact, apart from Him, you'll never know a joy or happiness. Isn't it amazing? Apart from Jesus, you're always looking for something. Always searching. Well, if I get this, this next thing, this next thing, always searching for something to be a certain way and have all this and never, never, never satisfied. But when you get a hold of Jesus and He gets a hold of you, you can pillow your head at night and know everything's right in my Father's house. He, he spoke truth without fear or favor. He taught in great power. He was never deceived, never discouraged, and never dismayed. There never, there never, are you listening? There never was a heart he could not peer into and know what's there. Wow. Wow. I said this Wednesday night, some of you are so fearful. You don't want anybody to know anything about you. You're, you're, just, you're, so, you're so private. And that's your business. That's okay. Doesn't bother me one bit. But you're so private. You don't want anybody to know anything about you. And what you don't understand is God already does. And if He's so minded to because you're stinking pride, jerk the covers right off of it and let the world see it. Because those two things go together. Be careful. God knows. Tangible evidence, testimonial evidence, transmitted evidence, and attested evidence. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Notice what he said. He said, now, he said, it's tested. He said, me and you are going to have fellowship. Our fellowship with us, truly, 
our fellowship with Jesus Christ. That's the reason. You listening? Are you paying attention? You better get this. Save you some tears down the road. Ever young man girls you date, you better make certain he's saved. Get an unequal yoke. It'll break your heart. Better make sure she's saved. Better make certain. Because what fellowship has light have with darkness? How can two walk together lest they be agreed? And we have fellowship one with another. It's because we got the same Father and through Him we now fellowship. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that my spirit will draw by witness with your spirit when you're saved. Do you ever meet someone and they're saved? And bless God, he got talking about Jesus and something. Boy, I met a young man the other day. We got talking to him. Boy, we just had the best time and a spirit bear witness with his spirit. Some people say, well, I, I don't believe that. I know they don't because they're not saved. Because they don't know what it is. Because the Spirit doesn't live within them. They're dead. And so when you start talking about that, they said, man, I just don't believe that. But that's true. Because they don't know Christ. Oh, John's Gospel set forth a real life in Christ. Second Peter 1, For whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. In 1858, David Livingston, already a famous uh, missionary, returned to Africa to find the source of the Nile. In 1867, he moved into the interior of Central Africa and just dropped out of sight. In 1869, the New York Herald sent a man by the name of Henry Morton Stanley on an expedition to find Livingston. After many, many hardships, Stanley found Livingston on October the 28th, 1871, and he remained with this missionary until March of 1872. Those months made a profound impact on Stanley. In 1871, I went to him as a, a prejudiced atheist in London. He said, I was a reporter and I, I, I went just to find out what a fake and, and phony he was. I was out there away from anything in the world. And he said, I saw this solitary old man and asked myself, what on earth keeps him from cracking up and what's inspiring him. For months after we met, I simply found myself listening to him, wondering at that old man carrying out what was said in the Bible. Leave all and follow me. Little by little, boy, it become contagious. And finally, after a while, after a while, he couldn't take it anymore. Henry Morton Stanley was converted because of this. 
the life of God in one of God's own. He said, I got saved. I was an atheist. I was, I was the hardest atheist you would have ever known. You could have made me believe. But because of the life of God in one of God's own, I just couldn't get away from it and trusted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Well, that's good news. Then there's glad news. He said, and these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. I'm going to help you right now. I'm going to help everybody here. You can test your salvation. You can test what you got's real. And don't, don't miss this. Heaven and hell will decide what's real. There ain't no in between. Heaven and hell. Joy is that which is on the inside. Happiness is a quarter pound with cheese and french fries and sweet iced tea. That brings me, that makes me happy. That brings happiness. That's not joy. Joy is that which is on the inside. Right now, what's in your heart? Boy, I'm glad I'm saved. I'm glad I know Jesus. I'm glad He allows me to be a part of His church. I'm glad this morning just to be here. I'm glad to get, get just to be a part of what God's doing. Just lets me be a part. It blows my mind He lets me do this. This blows my mind. That's, that's joy on the inside. And that joy comes out on everything in our life. I want to ask you something. Is there bitterness? Anger? Frustration? Are you an angry person? Are you frustrated? Are you just selfish to the core? Those, all those things go together. They just go together. Are you? Then why don't you right now ask God to search your heart. God, I want that joy. See, if you're always looking on the outside for that joy, then you're always going to be disappointed. Because this world cannot give you. Uh, they lied on, the commu- on that uh, commercial Bunch of drunks said, don't get any better than this. That's a lie. That's a lie. Yeah. See, you bought into commercials lies. But if you, if, you, if you get this right, if you get this car, you get this. And, and some of you believe that. You said, I'm going to be happy. Well, you, you're happy for a day or two. But then you go back to your old miserable self in a few days. No, don't bring happiness. Something eternal cannot bring happiness. Happiness starts on the inside. Then regardless of what happens around you may cause you tears, you may get disappointed, you may may shed tears at times, but but your joy it doesn't steal your joy. No steal your joy. This morning he said, I'm writing this that you may know. Karl Marx said this, atheist, communistic said this. The first requisite for people's happiness is the abol- uh, 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 
abolishing religion. The first requisite for a people's happiness is abolishing religion. God said the first and only requisite for happiness of people is Christ. He is Christianity. He is our faith. This morning we're going to observe Him. Do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me, God said. So stand your feet. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Do you know Christ? 